Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Returning to a teaching that we previously uh, began called Looking Unto Jesus. And in my last opportunity to minister uh, on this subject, we talked about Jesus being the Word for us to obey and acting on the Word. And um, we are dealing with a lot of very redemptive uh, issues and, and doctrinal truths to establish us in um, scriptural foundations of our redemption through looking unto Jesus. And so uh, the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, we are to look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's what we're doing. And so uh, I want to take the, the emphasis today toward uh, the reason why Jesus became a man. I want us to see how vital it is for us to believe in the, in the scripture that indicates Jesus became a man. Why that needed to happen and why our faith in Jesus, who is the Son of God, the second person, him becoming a man doesn't change him being the Son of God or the second person of the Godhead. He, when he walked on the earth, was still the Son of God and still uh, alive unto God and still the second person of the Trinity. And yet he came as a man. Why is that important? Why is it important for us to believe that? Why is it important for us to have the scriptural establishing of that in our heart so that we aren't moved off of that and, and uh, swayed away into other ways of thinking? And that's what we want to do today. First, I want to look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is so poetic. I love the poeticness of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Don't you love that poet, uh, poet, uh, poetry uh, formation of the way John put that together? You know, the other gospel writers, they started their, uh, their gospel, their letters out differently. <laughs> but I love how John just starts right at the root of the fact that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Uh, verse 14, though, is what I want to look at because this is uh, the, a, a foundational aspect of our, our gospel. The Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was made flesh. So we cannot think Jesus was pretending to be a man and borrowed a body and, and just pretended to be a man. The Bible says the Word was made flesh. Now, I want us to go back and look when man fell in Genesis. And I want us to see what God spoke in the face of the adversary concerning the Word becoming flesh. Go back with me to Genesis and let's look at chapter 3 and... Verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly you will go, and thus you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, 
enmity is um, I will put adversity. I will put a, a, a against you an, an againstness. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed will bruise your head. And that word bruise is the word crush in the original language. It's, a, it's the word crush. Your, her seed, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. And the word head is also authority. The, the seed of the woman will crush your authority and you will injure. That word is, is uh, a little bit different. You will injure his heel. But he's going to crush your authority. He's going to break your authority. Hallelujah. And we discussed how he has done that. That we are no longer under the dominion of darkness But Colossians says we've been translated. I want to go ahead back and look at that scripture specifically in Colossians because I want you to have the scriptural roadmap for you to know. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Who has delivered. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That word delivered means to draw to oneself or to rescue. So he drew us to himself and rescued us from the power. And this word power is the word exousia. You know, in in the New Testament, there are two words that are translated power in our English language, but they're two different words from the Greek. And one of them is exousia and the other one is dunamis. And so you have to look in your concordance or in your blueletterbible.com to find out which one of these is this power. This power isn't a dunamis power. It is the authority, exousia power. So he has rescued us, drawing us to himself, rescuing us from the authority of darkness. How did he do that? He had to be the seed of the woman. He had to be the seed of the woman to legally draw us to himself. God had to bring legally into the earth Jesus in the form of legal redeemer. He had to become a man. Glory to God. If not, it would have been an illegal transaction on God's part. It would have been an illegal redemption. For him to do it, he had to do it justly and legally. And for him to do it legally, the Redeemer had to be a man. Had to be a man. And so we get the picture of that in Boaz and Ruth. Boaz is an image or a shadow or an explanation drawn out in that life of a kinsman redeemer. He had the ability to redeem Ruth and Naomi, who was Ruth's daughter-in-law, for him to, uh, or, or backwards, I think I had it, but praise the Lord. Ruth, yes, Ruth, she called herself uh, uh, Mara. Uh, for him, to, Naomi was the mother-in-law, Ruth was the daughter-in-law, Boaz married Ruth. Amen. I think I had them mixed up. Have mercy on people who speak in public. I have mercy on people because sometimes you're thinking one thing and it comes out switched around. So Ruth was the daughter-in-law who married Boaz. Boaz was a legal kinsman redeemer. Remember he had, there was one other one who could have redeemed but did not want to, but Boaz was willing to redeem the family, redeeming all that was their inheritance, redeeming that the family uh, land, redeeming the family uh, what was theirs by inheritance. He was legally justified to redeem them because of his relationship, a kinsman redeemer. And that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus had to come as a kinsman redeemer. He had to come as a man because otherwise it was illegal 
because for a man to have the authority that was necessary, he had to be, for, in, for one to have the authority, he had to be a man. God had delegated on the earth authority to man. So for him to deliver us from the authority of darkness, he had to rise above the authority of darkness and have a greater authority. And to do that, he had to be a man on the earth. And so he drew us to himself, rescuing us from the authority of darkness. So darkness has no authority in our life because of Jesus' redemption. No authority. And has translated. And that word means to to transfer, to carry away, to remove from one place to another. So our citizenship has been transferred. Our family has been, uh, our family position has been transferred. We have been transferred into the family of God. We've been transferred into the inheritance of God. We have been transferred into the kingdom of heaven. We are no longer under the authority of the kingdom of darkness. We are in a higher authority. We operate in that higher authority from our place in Christ. But we are in that and governed by the blessing, and governed by the peace of God, and governed by God's keeping power. That's why we've got to learn to live there, never stepping out of our kingdom position, never stepping out of our kingdom authority, never stepping out of our kingdom supply and inheritance. Amen? Amen. So this is a, a, an example of what the end result of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, crushing Satan's authority. Glory to God. What ha- the result of that is we, we get the result. We are the ones benefiting. We are transferred out of the authority of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, God's dear Son. So we are now in the kingdom because of that redemption. So God had given authority to man on the earth. And I know you probably think I, 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 I love this scripture and I do. So let's look at it again because I go to it often. But you, you'll never get beyond this um, as a foundational truth. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. Have dominion. The, it's interesting in the, in the original language, and the Spanish translation brings it out, it says, be Lord. We use the word, uh, it, it says, be Lord. Lord over the earth. Be Lord. And God wants us to execute His will on the earth so he had to give us authority to execute his will on the earth we're supposed to be a representation of our lord by taking his will and dominating the earth with it dominating and we have to start in our area of influence we have to gain that that stability in our area of influence but then as the righteous of god we have the ability to pray for our community we have the ability I want y'all to know, legisl- and when, when I first started praying that, and asking God to make abortion illegal, my mind thought it couldn't happen. But in, the, in, in our state, the bill has been signed. That it is not, it, 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 glory to God, glory to God. What if we just use our authority and start believing for that to be across the nation? What if we just believe that God can turn and put the right people in place like he did here? That's an, an, an incentive for us because the, the states that have, there was a certain state that cheered when they made full-term abortion legal in their state. Full-term, and that means a baby can go to full-term and be born and, and killed at and they cheered on the house floor. And that state has had nothing but trouble ever since. All, all, not, that state, why? Because 
the decisions that we make as a people open the door for things to happen. Our place as the righteous, God can protect us, but we also have a responsibility to exercise our authority to see the will of God done. So we've seen the will of God where abortion is concerned in the state of Arkansas take a huge, huge leap towards the good. Let's, let's ride that momentum of our faith and believe God for that to expand as a nation. What could God do with a nation that refuses to allow abortion to be legal in the nation? And I'll tell you what else, while you're praying for our nation, make it a priority to pray that the United States of America would remain a friend to the nation of Israel. That, that God would protect our ally and our friendship and our position as an ally to Israel and that there would not be any legislation or decision made from government that would set us against the nation of Israel. I ask the Lord. That is, that is something stirred in my heart because we want the blessing on our nation and it puts God at a... a, a if, if we are not an ally to the nation of Israel, what are we? We, as a nation, we'll, we'll just have to believe for our Goshen rights as a people of God because if the nation doesn't honor that scripture that those who bless Israel will be blessed, those who curse Israel will be cursed, if, if, the, if we don't do that as a nation, then we're going to have to make sure we're strong in our Goshen rights. So you and I know that God can keep us Amen? And, and so we recognize that our authority is that far-reaching. We recognize, and it is, so as we enjoy authority in, the, in that smaller sphere of our life, we've got to recognize our responsibility in that larger sphere of life. That because God has given me authority and through that authority no evil shall befall me and no plague shall come near my dwelling and no weapon formed against me shall prosper and I execute my authority against this situation and I, I, I release my authority where this is concerned. Well, I'm benefiting there, but I also have a responsibility with that authority to bring it to the plan of God, to bring it to the plan of God for my local church, to bring my authority to the plan of God for my community to bring my authority to the plan of God for my nation and to use that authority to, to ask God to make His will on earth in my community. Thy will be done in my community. Amen? So calling for that with our authority is uh, uh, part of our responsibility. So God has given us authority and He, uh, when Adam was operating in that authority... We see that he had the access to the Garden of Eden. He had the supply of God. He had the provision of God. The plan of God was working in his life. But when Adam fell, Adam, when we call it a fall, when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. He died spiritually. Remember here in Genesis chapter 3, when God put man in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he had responsibility in the garden. He was the one authorized to guard it, to keep it. He was the one authorized for its upkeep. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And that would have included the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had access to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and... or I'm sorry, the fruit of the tree of life. He had access to, to the tree of life, but then God warned him, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So out of all of those trees, there was only one that God prohibited. And God prohibited because of the evil attached to it. God prohibited because in the plan of God, man was not supposed to learn evil by experience. We were supposed to learn evil by wisdom. Learn by the wisdom of God what is evil and, and therefore keeping it from having any activity in our life. But by him partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
He opened up his life to the evil connected to that tree. He sinned against the word of God. He disobeyed the word of God and obeyed the word of Satan. He acted on Satan's words and did not act on God's words. And in doing so, he died. He died. Now, he didn't fall over dead physically, but he died spiritually in the moment he ate the fruit of the knowledge, or through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God said, you, if you, in the day, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. My center column reference shows that that phrase, you shall surely die, says, in dying, you shall die. In dying spiritually, you will die physically. And he did. Some 900 and some odd years later, he died because God so well designed the physical body that it took over 900 years for the curse to kill Adam, his body. But his spirit died the moment he ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge. of good. Now, we need to talk about death because... There is physical death, there is spiritual death, and then there's going to be a second death. When people see this, in dying you shall die, Adam died spiritually. In, the mind, in my mind, when I first learned that phrase, I thought it meant a cessation of life. Like there was just no, no, no that person wasn't really living. But that person is alive physically, but there's no life of God in their spirit. It's a disconnect more than it is a cessation. It's a, it's a disconnect from the flow of God's life. It's like unplugging this keyboard. The, the keyboard would no longer have the electricity that gives it life, the force that gives it life, the, the flow that gives it life. It would be, it would be dead to the touch. It would not be responsive any longer to the touch. Why? Because it would be unplugged from the source of its force field, its force, its life, what gives it life. And so when, when we see from that perspective, we recognize that what Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 is talking about. He said, guard your heart with all diligence for out of the heart flow the forces or the issues of life. Out of the heart, out of the spirit of man, flow forces. So my spirit is the more important life, right? If I've got spirit life, then I'm connected to the life of God. So when Adam sinned, his nature changed and his spiritual condition changed. He no longer portrayed the nature of God. His nature changed. Let's look at Ephesians 2 for some scriptural reference to this. Ephesians 2 is a... It begins with a before and after picture. I love true to lives. Just give me a true to life, a makeover. I don't care if it's a home makeover, a, 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 you know, a, a makeup makeover, a hair makeover. I like to see the before and after. I like to see the before and after. And that's what Ephesians 2 is. It's the before and after picture of our lives. All of us can find ourselves in this before and after picture. It says, and you hath he quickened or made alive, brought back to life, re-plugged you in, he plugged you in. You hath he quickened who were dead. We were dead. How were we dead? In our trespasses and sins. In time past, we walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So before any of us had the life of God in us by being born again, we were influenced by the spirit of disobedience. We were influenced by or, or manipulated by. That doesn't mean unbelievers are all demon-possessed. 
Some may be, but that's not necessarily the case. But it means that every unbeliever, every person who has not received Jesus as Lord doesn't have the life force of God in their heart for them to conduct their life from their heart, for them to walk in the Spirit from their heart. They walked, how? According to the course of the world, the flow of the world, the direction that the world... If we were, say, uh, the course of a, a river, that river flow determines the direction that it's going. If that river's flowing in that direction, everything in that river is going to go in that direction. And so everything was going according to the course that the world was setting, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our behavior. The word conversation in the New Testament is always identified as behavior as well as verbal communication. So it can include my verbal communication, but it means my actions and my behavior. We all had our actions. We all had our behavior in the past, in our before Christ picture, in the desires, the things our flesh wanted to do, the lusts of our flesh. We've got to define that word lust so that it's not limited to sexual lust because it's talking about anything your flesh wanted to do. Hold on to grudges. The flesh loves to hold on to grudges. Uh, have bad hair days. Pity parties are the favorite thing that any of our flesh, if we, any of us gave way to our flesh, pity party would be on top of the list, right? The, the, the cravings of the flesh is what it's referring to. The things the flesh always be right, never be wrong. <laughs> Whose flesh doesn't want to be right? Whose flesh does not want to get the last word in, Right? All of us had that, that desire of the flesh in oper whatever the flesh was desiring. Why? There was no force of God in the spirit, no life of God in the heart to be able to, to set a different course. It says we all had our behavior in the past in the desires, the cravings of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature. Notice that were is past tense. It does not say we are by nature. Because there are a lot of people who love God, but they call themselves sinners. And they'll fight you for their right to call themselves a sinner. And they hold it dear. They think that it's honoring God to call themselves. They think it's a dishonor for me to say I'm righteous. Oh, I, I heard... Uh, I was listening to a, a message uh, from some years ago and this person said uh, a certain uh, uh, singer, his name was David Ingalls, that they would not let his songs be played in certain churches because he had a song that said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm like, well, they better tear out their Bible script because that's in, just tear out that whole page in, in 2 Corinthians because it came right out of there. He's not saying it because he, he got that idea on his own. He's saying that because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says he became sin for us who knew no sin, verse 21, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So how can you not play the song but keep the scripture in your Bible, right? That, that is, is in line with the word and for me to say I'm a sinner after I've been blood washed is not in line with the word. Now I didn't say I was above sinning. I don't have to sin. I'm not dominated by sin. Sin doesn't have dominion over me, but I might sin. And if I do, I praise God. I know how to confess my sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. So I don't, I don't wait and, until church time to confess. If I've, if I've done something, if I've crossed the line, if I've gotten out of line with an attitude, if I've said something I shouldn't have said, I repent immediately because I don't want to put it off I want to go ahead and, and real quick get that under the blood and, and move on and go in the right direction. Amen? Amen? But we are by nature different in the after picture than we were in the before picture. The before picture says we were 
by nature the children of wrath. But we are not by nature the children of wrath today. We are not by nature the children of wrath. We are partakers of His divine nature, the Bible tells us. So we want to let that be uh, that before and after picture be something that we bring into our life to resist the condemnation and to remind myself who I am in Christ. Romans 5, let's go over and look about the spiritual death in Romans chapter 5. It says that when we were spiritually dead, we were by nature children of wrath. So the spiritual condition of death and the nature, they go hand in hand. And we're going to see why here in Romans 5. It says in verse 17, Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. So how did death come into a position of authority? By one man's offense. By Adam's sin, death came in and took a dominant place that it did not have in God's original plan. God never intended for man to be spiritually dead. His plan is that the life of God himself be resident in the spirit of man, the heart of man, so that we can be in fellowship with him, we can be led by him, we can be guided by him, we can know everything he knows. Amen? That was God's plan. But when Adam sinned, death took a place of dominance in man's spirit. This spiritual death, which means a disconnect from the life of God. It says, much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So the receiving, we receive it by faith. We receive by faith that I'm in the favor of God, that Jesus is made unto me the fullness of God's favor. Of Him we have received grace upon grace, spiritual gift heaped upon spiritual gift, favor upon favor. And I'm quoting an amplified version of a scripture from John, uh, John chapter 1. Uh, but uh, He is the fullness of the favor of God. Jesus has received the full measure of favor and in Christ we're favored too. God is so God, we can all be His favorites at the same time. You can be His favorite and I can be His favorite at the same time because He's God enough to do that. He is love. He can make every one of us His favorites. And His, His full favor can be available to us. Amen? In Christ. And so this receiving of the gift of this favor, this grace of God, and receiving the gift of righteousness that Jesus has made us to be, this is a key for us having life reigning in us. And if life is reigning in us, I'm reigning in life. Amen. With life reigning in you, the life of God reigning in you, you'll reign in life. You'll dominate in situations. Why? Because you're dominating through the life of God that's dominating in you. That's what he meant, the Apostle Paul, in, Je in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I that live. You see, he's talking about the spirit life now. He's talking about there's a life of God reigning in my spirit. It is not I that live. It's not, it's not me from a natural human perspective. I'm not living out of that life. It is Christ that lives in me. I'm living out of that eternal life that's been deposited in my spirit. I'm living out of the God life that has been given to me at the new birth. I've been born again. I've been born from above. I've been born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And, and it's translated as well, born from above. And then he explained that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, we've all been born in the natural, in the human, but we've got to be born in the Spirit. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we receive His life. The
enters into our heart and we are born again and we are made new creatures. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, behold! Woo! Look at that! Behold! Behold! Woo! Look at that! You've never seen anything like this before. You've never seen this person before. Now you might have seen you might have seen their hair and you might have seen the color of their eyes and you might have seen you know the their their natural features but you haven't seen this person who is now alive unto God who they are in their spirit is brand new and so that new creature never put a needle in their arm or a pipe to their lip or a bottle uh, of whiskey down their throat. No, no, that person, this new person in Christ is a new creature. A new creature. A new creation. A new species of being that never existed before. That's a, a, a definition of that word, creature. A new creature in Christ. It's not I that live now. It's not I that live now. It's Christ the life of God who lives in me. And I can live out of that life and dominate over sin, sickness, and disease. I can dominate in my life and walk out the wisdom of God and walk in communion with God. And I never have to be caught off guard. And I, I never have to be subjected to uh, the things of the world to, to the, by, because I have an access to my heavenly Father who dwells in me. He dwells in me by the Holy Spirit. He said, I will come and make my, my Father. Jesus said, my Father and I will come and make our abode in you. We'll come live in you. You are wall to wall filled with God through the new birth. Your innermost being is alive with God's very own. The same life that's in God, the creator of the universe, is the life in the spirit that you have, that you are. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And reigning in life happens when life is reigning in you. When the life of God is resident in the spirit, then you'll live out of that life and you'll live above the circumstance. You'll live above the situation. You'll, you'll walk in the, in the higher life that God has planned for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So with this life, with this life in God, let's back up and look at verse 12 in Romans 5. It says, Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Death by sin. So how did death get in? God did not let it in. God did not permit it. It wasn't God's to permit or not permit. He gave man authority. And when Adam sinned, when man sinned, he, he, he took himself out of the plan of God and delegated his authority over to the... or he, he subjugated his authority to the enemy. And so we see it says, Death entered by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So that spiritual death, that, that disconnect from the life of God was transferred for every person born... After Adam's lineage, born in Adam's, in Adam's bloodline. If you, if you want to prove who is the father, you test the DNA of the blood. And so every, every human born with Adam's DNA in their blood has this result. It passed. Death passed. It passed through the bloodline. And that's why Jesus could not come as the seed of man. He had to come as the seed of woman. And how was, what was the seed that the woman had? A woman doesn't carry the seed, she carries a womb. 
but received by Mary was the word of God. And the word of God is seed. The word of God, it says we, First Peter says that we are born again, not of incorruptible, or not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible. Yeah. Hallelujah. We are born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. So the word of God, Jesus used in the, book, in the book of Mark and Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And he said, the sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is the seed. And so God gave Mary a word. And Mary received that word like seed into her womb. And she conceived the promise of God in her womb. That's the seed that crushed and destroyed the authority of the enemy. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Taking us back to John 1, 14. Jesus, the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh. He came as a man legally because Mary received the Word that God spoke into her womb and He was conceived in her womb. The Word conceived without an interaction of a man. And if you have a Bible that uses a, a word, it replaces the word virgin with a word, the young girl, I would suggest that you set it aside. Amen? Because it's, it's an important aspect of our faith. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Why is that important? Because he had no male interaction. There was no DNA of Adam in the bloodline of Jesus. Because that aspect of our faith, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that the Word became flesh in Mary's womb, that she received the Word of God and, and the Word of God formed the baby Jesus in the womb of Mary... And that causes his blood to be different. You could have pulled blood out of Jesus' vein and you could, you could go right now into the mercy seat of heaven where his blood exists today because his blood never dried up. It never coagulated. It never turned brown on the mercy seat. It is alive today speaking for me, speaking for you. The blood of Jesus is living blood. It's not corruptible blood. It's alive today. You could go and do a DNA test on the blood on the mercy seat in heaven and you could find out its DNA is God. It says in the book of Acts that God with his own blood purchased the church with his own blood he purchased with his own blood so he put his blood in Jesus body so the DNA of the blood that came from the Lord Jesus Christ is directly from God the Father making it sinless blood that's capable of paying the price to redeem me Paying the price to redeem. You see why? How that? You got to believe that to get to there. You got to believe this over here to get to this over here. And that's why we've got to lay a foundation because if if anyone is ever standing in a, a situation in their life and they don't have that to back them up, I'm talking about each layer of that foundational truth. If if you don't believe this, it's going to backtrack all the way back. Because this is what gives me the authority when I'm standing for my child to be born again. When I'm standing in a situation that I'm believing God for. What's giving me authority? What makes you think you can pray and do anything? Well, let me tell you. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. I'm alive unto God. He's made me a new creature. I'm not what I did. I'm not who I was. I'm not my past. I'm a new creature in Christ. And I'm God's own child today. I'm an heir of God with a joint inheritance just like Jesus has. And He put me here to see his will done and he asked me to, to, to call those things that be not as though they were. He asked me to use my authority on behalf of his will. He asked me to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. He asked me to go and make disciples of all men. He asked me to preach. Hallelujah. He, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and declare and to set at liberty. So if we, to get to all that point, we first have to have these foundations to stand on. 
there was a time in my walk with God. We had been pastoring the church there in Kansas for a number of years. It was, it was right before. I had already written the book, Pressure No Problem, and I had, had gone across the United States touring with that book and um, had made the relationship with uh, uh, Sister Jeannie Caldwell and had been invited to come back and to minister on BTN. And there were a lot of things going on in the world financially during that time and uh, some people in our church who uh, decided they wanted to go sing karaoke in the bar and so we had to release them from any responsibilities they were carrying in the church. And with that releasing them of responsibilities, they left the church and and uh, so there was a financial shift in the church. There was financial shift going on in the world. Uh, we were, this was right before God had dealt with us to get out of debt. So we still had some debt from uh, one of our children's college and uh, some medical debt from some of their expenses. So we had different uh, pressures and situations going on. And um, because of all of these different things, I chose to take a, a job working at nights at a, uh, a local penitentiary for teenagers. And so I was working the night shift and still we had uh, uh, a bilingual congregation there at the time in the Kansas location. So there were things that I was doing for, for us to sing the songs bilingual. I was leading the worship there. And so I would have to just finish my responsibilities and almost just run out the door and go change and head for the evening shift. And I, I felt like my destiny was just slipping away. It was an all-out attack for the plan of God of our life because we were under the pressure with our, our calling, our ministry. I'm thinking, what am I doing out here working this job that's so weird? You know, it was just out of my, yes, it was out of my purpose. It was, out, it was not in God's plan for me. And I was just doing it out of a natural response to the financial situation that we were facing. And so I would drive to work listening to this worship song and crying the whole way. I mean, by the time I got there, my eyes would be red and puffy and any makeup I did have on was gone, but it was the evening shift and nobody saw me anyway. All the students were in there. Their, um, they were on lockdown, and so I just was basically security over the, the area through the night. And um, so I was, I was just, it, it just went on like this for a number of, of weeks and a couple of months of me just trying to hold on. And I'm thinking, I actually came and did a partner special. And I had the cutest high heel shoes. <laughs> but I had rubbed blisters on my feet from those boots that I had to wear with the uniform that I, but from being the prison guard, I'm, I'm telling y'all, I was so out of my element, so out of my yes. And I'm standing there saying, Lord, this is just wrong. This is just, I'm, I'm, this doesn't fit. What is going on? And one day I was, I was on my way and to work that night and I had been just worshiping God and it was a, a Spanish song, Poderoso Dios. And it's all-powerful God. Poderoso Dios. And I'm singing and crying because I feel so far away from where I should be. And as I'm driving down the road, God shows me this vision. Praise God for the angels, y'all. He shows me this vision of dominoes. And I see these dominoes all lined up. And I see one of them fall. And when one of them falls, what happens? All of them start falling. And the Lord said, if you don't get in faith about where you are today, it's going to take you back till you wonder if God ever set you free from drugs and made you new. Woo! I saw it so clear that if I did not move back into a place of faith where my situation was concerned and start working the word the way I needed to and was not working it as I should have, that it would take me all the way back to make me wonder if I'd ever gotten born again. 
And I, from that moment, I went back to the ABCs of faith. I went back to the basics. I went back to, to the word and I, I, I set aside the emotional strain that I had permitted. And I had to turn the emotions off and start walking by the word and those steps of faith. And it, it was after that decision when I started getting my faith back up that when it came across our desk to have an op opportunity that VTN was inviting us to come on their station and pastor walked into my room, Pastor Steele, and he said into our, my office and he said, well, should we take it? And I looked at him and I said, I don't have an option. I have to take this. I, I have to stay in faith and keep moving in the right direction or the enemy will steal from me everything. And, and that's, it, it was that, that foundation. We have to have that foundation for every other aspect of our life. If, we, if, you, if you don't have this foundational piece, then when you're standing against an adversity, the enemy's able to come back and rip all of those things that are not grounded in you and say, well, maybe that wasn't really, maybe that doesn't really work and maybe that faith stuff and maybe this and maybe God didn't really forgive you until you get all the way back to, do you believe you're saved? It is never wasted time to firm up the foundation. It is never wasted time to establish yourself in the truths of your redemption because this is who you are. This is who you are. You are alive unto God because He has taken you out of the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of His dear Son. You're now dominated by the love of God. You're dominated by the peace that passes all understanding. You are dominated by the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. These flows of the kingdom, the righteousness, joy, and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, those are the tools for reigning in life. Hallelujah. Every head bowed.